Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Hey, 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 Andy. How you doing? Hey, man? Andy. <laughs> How you doing? Good. You know, we had a, a a long time since we recorded last. Our last episode, we kind of just hit the rewind button. Did a, a previous episode, so. I feel, you know, well rested. I had some some time, some time off. So, you feel great. refreshed, ready to go? Yeah. A little R and R for so. Andy. Yeah. Nice. Hey, I've been uh, while you were resting. I've been using my Raycons, <laughs> and not that the show is sponsored by Raycons, but <laughs> we do critiques here about things. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm about fifty percent on them. About half and half. Fifty percent that you like them, and fifty percent you don't yeah. like them. Okay, like yeah. like okay, I get you, I get you. Half and half. So I'm, not, I, I'm uh, very curious to know what the difference is. Um, what do you like? What do you not like? Okay, so here's the deal: the audio quality is good. I like mm. that. the 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 overall mechanics of them, I like. Like the design of them, I like. They're comfortable in the ears. They give me the different pads to put in the ears for the sound reducing. They work really good. They fit really well. Um, The audio quality is good, but here's the problem. And this is where the UX comes in. The the Apple iPods, iPad, what what are they called? AirPods. AirPods. iPods? AirPods. (laughs) AirPods. The AirPods are more well designed for the overall user experience. Because oh. they connect, they connect really well, and I don't get the little, I don't get the weird robot audio voice, which drives me nuts. I just get like a beep when they're connected. Yeah. And I recognize those beeps. I do like that um, I don't have to push a button on the side to make them like go up or down. I just tap them. I do like that about hmm. the AirPods versus the Raycons. Um, you know what really drives me nuts is I can't take one of these out and have it stop my audio. No way. Oh yeah. Yeah. That drives me nuts. Can you take one out and you still listen to audio in one of them? Yeah. But like, let's say I'm doing something and somebody comes up to me and asks me a question with the AirPods. I can just take one AirPod out and answer their question and the audio stops. Right. I put it I put it right back in and I'm off I go right with the <clears throat> with the Raycons I have to either take them out and they'll still keep playing right hold them in my hands take them out answer my question put mm-hmm. them back in and then rewind what I missed right or I have to give them the old I have to give the person the old you know hold my finger up hit you know take my phone out or whatever hit pause <laughs> then take my earphones out like. I think I think that is something I really miss a lot about the AirPods. Wow. The other thing is the connection. These uh, the AirPods just connect, right? Like mm-hmm. if I if I open my computer, I go up to the little thing. Like if I was on my if I was on my phone, right, listening to something, and I sit down and I go to my computer, all I got to do is just switch it. All I got to say is I'm going to listen to it right here, and I can continue listening. Right? It's not a big deal. Yeah. These I like. 
I don't know what it is, but I like have to, if I have my phone and my computer in the same area, I have to turn Bluetooth off or turn the Raycons off and then switch them, right? Like it's almost like a manual process. I got to like switch. I got to go into discover mode again. It's got to link up again. Like those are the little things that are driving me crazy that are almost preventing Mm. me from, from using these more but the battery life and the audio quality is really good that's interesting so um so. if i put my shoes in <laughs> maybe a, a raycon designer um, role talking to you a user patrick what of those things do you find to be most important the overall user experience or having um, great audio quality and long battery life I think for the way I use it, I would say the overall user experience needs to be worked on. And I would I would improve the connection, first of all. I'd figure out a way to improve the Bluetooth connection to make it easier. So I don't have to, like, turn these off, put it back into discovery mode. Like, I'd try to figure out a way to make it snap back and forth, you know? Like, just the thing that it's reaching out to, grab that, hook it on. Um, the other thing, too, is I would I would eliminate the voice the voice is super annoying. They start off when you when you take them out of the little pod thing. They go, Raycon. Like they make <laughs> their stupid little jingle. And then you put them in and then they're like, connected. They have this robot voice and it's super annoying. When you're taking them in and out a lot during the day, like conference calls and things like that, it just gets really annoying. I'd rather just have like a little beep or something that says it's connected or something i hate that voice yeah so fix those things and i'm sold but that's that's a big difference like it's it's interesting to me because i'm like i'm i'm using i thought i would just like move over to the new ones and that's it you know but like uh i'm using my airpods still quite a bit just for the convenience wow that's funny so. Yeah, no, that, that that speaks a lot to user experience. It's really important to have something that works well together. That is um, unfortunately why everything, pretty much almost everything I own, I feel like is an Apple product because <laughs> they've locked me in to that user experience. Things yeah. just work super well. Not all the time, right? But like yeah. I can have a good Definitely expectation. Definitely not from a working. software standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Their software is not good. But yeah, the little yeah. tiny, the little tiny things like that they have in their in their hard products, right? Their hardware products are are fantastic. And that's that's something that I think is really interesting. And I think we've talked about this a little bit before in terms of like innovation. Like, at least I mean, a lot of companies do this, but at least a lot of the examples that I see from Apple is they'll take something and they'll ask the question like, they won't go like keep it in the same box of things, right? Like. You know, this is what air, this is what, um, not AirPods, this is what earphones, what do you call regular earbuds? Okay, this is what earbuds typically do. (laughs) This is what the world expects them to do. Um, Instead, they think of little things, you know, that to change, to make it better for that experience. They question um, how it could be better. And they come out with these little things that are um, that are delightful, and they condition you to have that expectation. So when you are wearing mm-hmm. your 
your your what is it? oh my gosh your um, Raycons and you take one out and it's not doing the same thing that the AirPods does, you know, it's super inconvenient for you and you, you've been conditioned to expect that um, now that you've been living with that experience for so long and it's so helpful. Um, I think Apple does that in some ways very good, in some ways not very good, of course. Um, another example of that is, I know, Patrick, you're not a very big iPad user, um, but, you know, Earlier this year, I think it was springtime, they came out with um, mouse support on the iPad. Hmm. And the way they did it was like totally different from the way a regular mouse has been working for so long, for, you know, 20, 30 years. They did it differently and they did it in a way that makes sense for a touch device. And there's so many little things that just make sense. Um, for example, like if you look at your mouse pointer right now, it's this little black arrow with a white border. So if it's over something yeah. black, you can still see it, right? Or if it's over something white, you can still see it. But on Apple, on the new iPad mouse experience, you know what it does, Patrick? It changes color. If, you're, if your little black mouse, your little nubbin thing is over something that's dark, it changes white. And if it's over something that's white, it just changes dark. It just changes dark? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> So it's like they, they didn't take this like old thing that's like been the same way it's always been and just keep it that way. They like made some small changes. So yeah, um, I think that's a lesson that we can all take in terms of um, delight and overall experience. We can not consider, you know, or we can consider how things can be changed. What why why things are the way they are because a lot of times we're just doing it because we've seen it that way and that's the way we think it should be. We can think mm-hmm. outside of the box, Patrick. Yeah, well, and these Raycons really hit the business need or the like the business need for the company, right? Because I bought them, you know, they made their money, whatever. But I probably won't, you know, I'm probably not going to like recommend these things because they're basically like anything else that I have, right? Like they don't yeah. do anything cool. But it's like you know when I was when I first got my my AirPods. You know, I would walk around the office with people without AirPods and I'd flip open my little my little uh, box, you know, and then show my phone and be like, check it out. And then it would show me the battery life. And that would like like blows people's minds. People are like, what? Whereas like I have no idea. I have no idea the battery life on my Raycons. I just don't. I just have to wait until the lady the robot lady in my my <laughs> headphones tells me that they're they're getting low. That's funny. So it's like those little tiny things like those are the things that you show to people like, "Whoa, check this out." Mm-hmm. If I take my if I take my 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 AirPod out, it stops. Do you see that? That's cool, huh? And they're like, "I want to ask you a question." And you're like, "No, I don't even know what it is." Cuz you distracted me with your dumb AirPods. <laughs> but if Apple could make the battery life better, then I'd be good. Yeah. Anyway, I think I think like you said though, that's a good example of UX, right? That's the one thing I noticed on the product was like the overall UX is has degraded for me, and that's frustrating. You look frustrated, so, Patrick. I'm really I'm just pissed off. No, I'm not pissed <laughs> off, but there's just little things that get frustrated. Um. <clears throat> I have a topic for us today, Andy. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. 
Okay, so the question the question was posted on LinkedIn by our friend and neighbor Dylan Winspear of the Design Today podcast. If you if you're not if you're not listening to the Design Today podcast, Andy, you should probably go to uh, designtoday.com and and subscribe. But he yeah. posted on LinkedIn the other day as an, an interesting question. I answered it. I don't know if it was good, but I wanted to know your answer to the question. He said, uh, what have you found to be the most important soft skills for a UX designer? And are those skills trainable? Okay. What are the, the most, most important, important soft, soft skills? skills for a UX designer? It took me a minute. I threw out the couple of things. There's a couple that just right off the top of my head, just from, you know, hiring and working with people and stuff. Was it easy mm-hmm. to kind of pick up? But I wanted to know your what you think like the top like top one, two, three soft skills are for a UX designer. And you can't say empathy. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Nah, that's Whatever. a buzzword. That doesn't doesn't count. Oh, empathy's a buzzword now. <laughs> Great. What am I going to talk about now as a designer if I can't use the word empathy? Crap. I don't know. We're screwed. Oh, man. This year keeps getting worse and worse. (laughs) I talked about empathy all the time in 2019, man. All the time. Not in 2020. There's no empathy in 2020. (laughs) All empathy is gone. Oh, my gosh. That is rough. Um,. Yeah, I think this is a great question. What are the soft skills? And this is this is a hard thing to think of. Um, I'm going to say off the top of my head, um, I was thinking something along the lines of empathy, Patrick, um, but not exactly using that word. So I'll I'll, I'll skirt around that. <laughs> um, but I think, like. In terms of soft skills, like somebody who is really good at communicating to others. So I think like being able to tell a story. Um, So if this is a soft skill, I don't know if it's a soft skill or a technical skill, actually. But I feel like it's a soft skill because you are interfacing with people in order to do this. Um, So I think a designer that can tell a story really well um, is... Um, a good designer um, because they're able to um, really relay what the problem is and also, you know, t- basically explain what's going on to somebody. And if they're able to tell it in a way that's a story, somebody's going to be able to understand where they're coming from. And they're, of course, going to be able to create a lot of content from that, like a lot of, a lot of knowledge. Like, for example, as a designer, if I'm somebody who can tell a story and I need to um, communicate to my team what it is that we're trying to build um, or what it is that we need to solve for. I'm able to tell that story in a way that's compelling to get them excited about this problem that we're solving for and also to get them involved in it. Um, so if I can tell a story and you know it, it, that information is coming across well to those individuals, then um, we're going to have success and be able to create for that for the users. Um, so I would say storytelling is an important soft skill. Um, and I, I hope this other one is not 
a buzzword yet, but it might be Patrick. But I think also humility is a really big soft skill. I think somebody that is really good at understanding that they don't know all the problems. And if you are a, hum a humble person, you're going to be a listener. Um, so you're going to listen to other people's issues, that being users, um, developers that you work with, other stakeholders that you work with. Um, so you can be able to understand the problems that you need to solve. And then later on, tell stories about those problems you need to solve. Um, so I would say definitely those two for sure. Interesting. And I'm not sure if anything else is coming to mind, Patrick, in terms of the Do you most think those are learnable? Skills. Do you yes. think those two, you, storytelling and humility, do you think those are learnable skills? Trainable, teachable? I think, that, I think those are teachable skills. Um, I think you could be a really bad storyteller and you can learn how to be a better storyteller for sure. I don't think it's something you're inherently super good at. I think it takes practice, honestly. It takes something um, that's hard to, you know, it, it takes it, it takes understanding what you're trying to do and then doing it, right? So um, yeah, I think that is something that's definitely teachable. Humility is harder to teach but I think you can learn humility <laughs> um, definitely the hard way. Um, so you can be humbled, and that's a way that you can learn humility. So if you're a designer coming in to a company and you're not a humble person, you can definitely be, you can definitely not learn it if you're not very self-aware. But if something happens to you that makes you more self-aware, um, maybe your manager is telling you that you need to be more self-aware or you have an issue with, with something and then you understand, oh, actually I don't know about this. Um, you're gonna start learning more about yourself and you're gonna be a more humble person. And I think as an extension to that, as I mentioned, you're gonna be more of a listener, um, somebody who is um, not just concerned about yourself looking good, um, but you're concerned about solving problems for others as a true designer should. Um, so I think both of those things are learnable. Um, one of them might be more learnable than the other. <laughs> like storytelling is probably easier to teach, I think, than humility is. Um, but I think they're both definitely learnable things. So if you were, Andy, if you were to teach me, like, the basic, <laughs> the basic process for becoming a better storyteller, mm -hmm. what, what would be, like, the first thing you would teach me? That's a great question. So it, kind of it, from an overall perspective, um, understanding story, um, I think you need to understand like the, the, the basics of like kind of drama. Because <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I think a really good way to tell a story is to have that drama in it. You really need to, um, and sorry to use this word, but you need to allow others to empathize with with the protagonist of the story, Patrick. And that is that comes through drama, right? So um, if you are a good storyteller, you're bringing that drama in. If I just come in and I say, here's a bunch of facts, and I don't explain the background or the context to those facts, um, most people aren't going to be engaged with those facts. Um, or maybe they might not even believe them or think that they're true. They might think that you came came about these facts, um, or you, you didn't come about these facts, you just made them up, right? Um, however, if you're a designer that's a good storyteller, 
um, let's say you're doing a research project. Um, you're going to go ahead and tell a story about what you expected to happen out of this research. Um, like what are the things you wanted to know? What did you expect to hear? And then talk about what you learned. And then in what you learned, you're going to find a lot of drama in that, that part of the story. So if, especially if what you learned is very different from what you expected, um, there's going to be some drama that's going to be interesting. If you tell a story that has, um, like actual things that tie to feelings. So, um, for example, if I'm telling you a research about a research project and I say like I was with this user and they were going through our application and they were struggling a lot, they were having a lot of pain. And here are some of the quotes that they said. And you can see like the pain that they're feeling through the things that they said. Or here's a video clip of, of how they struggled to understand this portion of the application. And you can, as, um, as a story listener, you can empathize with that person and then be able to understand their pain and feel their pain. And then from there, by extension, you're able to go, well, I'm really excited to offer them a solution. You know, I'm, I'm bought into this, right? And then I could say as a designer, so here is what we are, are proposing based on the research results, right? So um, I've been able to tell at that point, like a really effective story. Um, so, so what I'm saying is you should bring drama into your story um, look at all the best stories, of course, they're going to have drama. Look at the best storytellers. Uh, if you look at film, you're going to see like Pixar um, is really good at telling stories because they bring in, of course, um, drama and they make you really empathize with, with the characters. They make you cry all the time um, because they, they bring in that empathy and they give drama to those characters. So you feel their pain as well as they go through it. So if you can bring that into the to your storytelling as a designer, um, you're going to be able to share um, your ideas a lot better um, in a way better, more effective way to the people with which you are telling a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're if you're um, let's put you in a scenario like uh, where we're, we have to present you've done you've done design research, you've done some mockups, maybe some ideation. You're sort of presenting the idea to the development team, right? You're kind of like in a handoff situation, um, mm -hmm. and you're telling, you're trying to tell them a story. Like, who is, who is the protagonist? Who is the antagonist in this story? Like, how, like when you approach it, like who is what? It's not one single user. Is it the user that's the antagonist? Like, what is that? Like, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, no, that's that's pretty interesting. I think. Um, I think it kind of is the user collectively because like when you, when you have that research, right, you're kind of synthesizing that research and you are um, kind of putting it together to funnel up to a, a final decision or a final fact that you're trying to portray. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's correct. The, the protagonist is essentially like the user, um, that's going through this, especially if you're trying to convey, if you're trying to build for an experience, you're trying to say like this user is going through this experience and it's horrible or it's great, you know? So, um, yeah, the, the user, um, would be the protagonist. The antagonist, um, is essentially your software or the experience overall. And, um, you're seeing how that, um, protagonist has to experience, um, 
you know, getting getting done what they need to get done. And I think it's really important as well to, and especially to have that empathy to, if they understand the um, the the protagonist motivations. If if I'm a user, this is what I want to do. Here's the job I'm trying to solve for, as we talk about in the UX world, right? So, I would set that story up by saying. Here's the way our users, based on our research, are experiencing our products. The protagonist is, you know, our users, and here's what their motivations are. Here's the jobs to be done. And our product is impeding them um, by not allowing them to, um, you know, complete or, um, you know, yeah, complete their jobs to be done. Um, and that's, that's a story. That's an experience um, that we're able to share with them. And if we tell it in a way that allows them to empathize with that story, then um, then they'll be able to uh, you know understand it well and be excited about it and want to make those changes and find solutions for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, once they once they kind of put themselves like we do with with television, movies, books, any story, right? Like great storytellers put the audience in the protagonist's shoes, right? Mm-hmm. and try to see it from their from their direction. I like that you said the antagonist is like the product. Um I guess in that in that same sense it would be like maybe your product doesn't even offer a solution yet. You're designing a solution, but it's it's what they're doing now, right? It's whatever yes. they're experiencing now and you're sort of like you're going to you're going to find that solution that's going to replace that and make it make it much better for them, right? Solve their problem. Mm-hmm. So I like that you can you can approach it as being like, hey, the sticky notes that they use now are the the evil people that's trying to you know be <laughs> they're the antagonist right that's trying to take them down and waste their time and money and all kinds of other stuff. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna define a solution that's better for the protagonist. Does that does that not? Um, I guess you kind of brought it up with your product. Like when you talk, when you, in terms of storytelling, these little snip, snippets of storytelling um, along that, you know, like there's like the hero's journey, right? Where you start out and you have the person, like like the typical Star Wars, right? Like you you have Luke's kind of in his own world and then something happens that disrupts that world. Then all of a sudden he's got this problem that he's got to solve and then he sort of goes on that journey. <clears throat> and then he comes to a point, you know, and then that journey continues and then he's got to like, he, he solves his problem in the end or, you know, discovers something new about himself or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as that process continues with your own product, does that story ever change? Like, is your product always the antagonist? Or does that does your story ever change to where your product is now um, a tool of the protagonist? And then, like, if so, like, how do you tell the story to make further ux improvements or how do you justify further ux improvements right like i think in SaaS companies we deal with this all the time because i think we're just constantly adding new features which i think is good but then once you get to a point where you've got like a a solid product it doesn't mean all the designers go away right it means we continually improve and how do we how do we tell those stories with continually improving products i guess is my question yeah, I think that's a really interesting thought. And I think you can find, I mean, as you said, like you're continually improving the product. Um, 
I think there could be some parts of the product. I mean, there always are going to be parts of your product that are that can be an antagonist to your users. There's always going to be something that um, that won't work for them. You know, there's something that isn't the perfect experience. There's never going to be always a perfect experience in every way. So, um, especially as your product evolves. Um, or maybe your customers evolve or the market evolves. Um, there's so many factors that can go into um, how this this will change in the future. And so I think it's, it is possible that your product could always be um, following along the same analogy, the antagonist. Um, and it, it could not exactly be the product as a whole, but it could be a specific experience. Um, as you had mentioned, if it's something that they can't do in the product yet, um, that's an experience that's your product is kind of an antagonist because it doesn't have that experience that allows them to do that or they have to go um, they have to do a workaround to have that to work or they have to use a different product to have it to work for them um, so I think it can be um, my first thought and I'm not sure if this is right so I'm going to think about this out loud right now but um, when you said would only the product be the antagonist? I also wondered about if users themselves can be an antagonist to themselves. Um, mm. Again, following along with this, this analogy, when you look at like stories, like books and film, for example, there are stories where there is like a, a good guy and a bad guy. There are stories where there's a good guy and the bad guy is really an idea that the good guy has or something like a a belief that's wrong and so like they are actually their own antagonist and at times so there's yeah. there's there's different things so i'm wondering um and again i'm thinking out loud here but i'm wondering if a user could be an antagonist to themselves and i'm not sure if that really applies but um but i i think it maybe could be possible if you have a user that um is potentially doing doing something that's um maybe they're they're doing behaviors that aren't right to what they want to do for their jobs maybe your software is facilitating that incorrect behavior um i'm not really sure but um i don't know i'm just thinking out loud right now but i think <laughs> in general your product and or experience uh, most likely would be the antagonist um that you can you know have your protagonist fight against um to tell that story yeah break their own behaviors right and th sure. that happens a lot, right? When you go out and do research, you discover that it's almost like they've been trained, a user's been trained to, for this particular behavior because of software, because of practices, or because of the lack of software, the lack of tools. And then it's almost your job to be like, okay, we're going to build something new, but then we've got to make sure that you can pick up on it and learn it and, and change your behavior, right? So that it will be mm -hmm. better for you. So yeah, sometimes I think you're right. I think... I think the antagonist in the story is a lot of times the the user or the protagonist as well, right? So when you when you tell is this something that like we talked about you talked about like the soft skill being important and then you talked about like a learnable thing. Um I, I'm learning a ton from you, Andy, <laughs> right now. Because I don't feel like I'm a good design storyteller. And it's something that came up um on came up time and time again in the comments of Dylan's post on LinkedIn was storytelling. And I just kept being like, what is, what do people mean when they say storytelling? Hmm. And I like, I like your explanation of it, how it's, it's a literal, no, you need to learn how to tell a story with characters 
and a problem and drama and that's how you build the empathy because i i feel like to be a good designer you don't necessarily have to have empathy toward the users that you uh, are designing for to design something great but what you have to be able to do is listen and i think that goes i think that goes inside of that right like being able to listen to it the storytelling is the second part of it being able to listen to their story and then pull it in and then rewrite that story for the audience for that that you're telling the story to yes. if that's developers if that's pms if that's whatever be able to take their story and kind of plug it in and then that just sort of passes on that empathy right it's almost mm-hmm. the same way like a persona initially is supposed to you're supposed to empathize with this persona, right? It's supposed to relate to you, but it's also the reason why personas don't successfully work because there's not the storytelling element of the protagonist, the antagonist, like what are they doing wrong? Where's the problem? And you're not putting them I like I like the way you said with storytelling is <clears throat> putting the listener not like like in the protagonist's shoes the same way they would any other story they've ever heard so that they could see themselves actually going through that experience. It's not, it, it, it is empathy, but it's not like you're really feeling for that person, right? It's a, yeah. it's a, like a lighter level, I guess. And it puts you in that experience and puts you in that game or that world of that person without really having to go into it. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I like, I like how you explain that. Is that something you would recommend people like, when you're communicating something, the practical side of it is, is like, okay, I'm working on this design. I've got, uh, I've got a design review coming up with my development squad and with my PMs. Um, is that something that you would recommend somebody like write down, like write down their story ahead of time? Or like what the practical side of that is that, is that just something like if I'm, if I'm starting to learn to practice storytelling, like, is there a practical side of that? Yeah, so I think there is a practical side, and it. Um, I think the first part, and you mentioned this, and I, I hadn't thought about this until you said it, but I think the first critical part of storytelling is understanding your audience. Um, so, as a designer, like you are, your job is to go find problems and find solutions to those problems, and then communicate those problems. Right. I think in the end, if you send out, and we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, if you you send out this huge, you know, like bucket load of research to somebody, no one's going to take the time to look at it because it's just a gigantic mm-hmm. pile of research and no one's going to be able to understand what it all adds up to. Um, but the right way to do it is like, here's three bullet points of what I learned, right? And this is specifically with research. Here's three bullet points of what I learned and you can dig deeper if you want to by clicking on this link or whatever. So that's like, I think the first part of storytelling is understanding your audience. Like if you are talking to um, a PM, you're going to talk differently to a, a PM versus like a different stakeholder. For example, like a, a, an executive, you really want to like break it down really small and really simple if an executive is listening to what you're talking about. But if you're talking to a PM, specifically one that you have worked with on this project and you're giving them your results, um, you can be a lot more detailed and offer, um, yeah, a lot more information. Um, so I think the first part of practice for storytelling, Patrick, is understanding your audience and tailoring the things that you want to say or convey to those that audience in a different way. Um, 
I think the second part to make this practical in terms of doing a story, I wouldn't recommend that you actually go out and write a short story of like, <laughs> you know, like here's here's our character and here's um, all the character introductions and all that stuff. Um, and here's the drama they went through. I think it's really important to, to tell that in the same way. Um, you're breaking it down for your audience and you're going to break it down in a, a way that's compelling for them. So if you are sending out, again, user research, you can break it down into the things that are most important. So they're going to want to know, like, what did you want to know as part of your research? So you could have a bullet point for here's what I wanted to know when I set out to do this. And then the next part could be here's what I learned. <laughs> um, there could be other parts, but I think you, you really want to have um, empathy for your listener to be able to understand what they want to know in order to tell that story for them. So you ought to make it as simple for them as possible. Um, so that way you would tell your story in basically the way they need to hear it. And that's, that's how you would go about doing a story. So first understanding your audience, understanding what they want to know um, based on their role, and then telling a story that makes sense for them. So if on the other side of things, Patrick, if I was telling a long story, let's say I'm, I am dumping all of my research results onto my, um, onto my team and I had like a slideshow or something that would show that stuff, I would still need to break that down into those sections of like, here's what I wanted to know, um, you know, here's what I learned. Um, and you could talk about why you learned those things, right? You can go deeper into why mm -hmm. you learned those things. And that would have more empathy there. Like, again, they would see like, oh, the user struggled here, um, user struggled over here, and here's some quotes that they mentioned. And you can see that pain in those quotes, as I said before, um, to get them to come along with that story. So I think part of part of that storytelling is understanding your audience. Again, to repeat myself, understanding your audience, breaking the story down into what they need to know, um, and then telling it in a way that they need to know it. That's cool. I like that. I have a better understanding of storytelling now, Andy. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. I was never, I'm never. I'm not good at it. <laughs> you know, you you might be good at it. You just I don't know. It, it depend on and you know. I think it it's good to get to get somebody that could help you with that storytelling. They could help you with with that and give you feedback on it. Right. So yeah, turns out you could be good at telling stories, but you don't know it. <laughs> nice. Well, um, that's just, I guess that's our topic today. Storytelling. <laughs> Storytelling. I think that's good though. I think it's good because people bring it up a lot. And I think a lot of people don't understand what it means. You know, like they don't understand what it means in the perspective of a UX designer. Yeah. So I'm glad you clarified for us. Yeah, hopefully that was clear. I felt for like it wasn't, but <laughs> I hope I told that story well, Patrick. Yeah, it was a good story. You want to know the best way to support the podcast? And I know you do because you made it to the end of this episode. That is share it. Share it with a coworker, share it with a family member, share it with a friend. Share it with whoever you want to. Share it with a construction worker. Share it with somebody. It doesn't matter. Just share it. Um, a couple more ways to support the podcast, though. 
go buy a t-shirt over at designmuch.threadless.com and then wear it with pride. And then lastly, to support the podcast, we need your topics. Use hashtag designmuchtopics on social media or shoot us an email at topics at designmuch.org or just go to designmuch.org contact and fill out the form.